0: What should we talk about tonight? Yes.
1: Uh, lately, during meditation, I've, I've been thinking more and uh, observing the uh, sensation of breathing less, but this evening, I uh, I kind of stumbled into, a, uh, I guess, watching the back of my eyelids for want of a, a better uh, description, and I noticed that it seemed like it was easier for me to to get back to the breathing if i could while i was doing that and you know, i wasn't paying you know was trying to do that but uh I, I could observe my breathing even while i was doing that and it sort of took took the space of where i've been thinking and i don't i i mean is that temporarily a, a maybe a reasonable thing to do. I don't, don't think it would be a good thing to do for a really long time, but anyway, uh,
0: that's what i noticed to be doing, and it seemed a little better tonight. Well, what you'll find is, is that uh, the the thoughts in the form of the inner narrative will find a way in, so that, that's probably not going to last very long that this is going to be effective. But, What I would say is that uh, there's a general principle here, which is you have a limited capacity for what you can be consciously aware of at one time. And the uh, more you utilize that capacity for sensory awareness, whether it's the sensations of the breath or anything else, or if it's the sensations of the breath, in addition to observing, The back of your eyelids. That is going to leave less uh, less capacity for thoughts. But that is, as I say, it's only a temporary thing. The thoughts will find their way in. We use there's a variety of ways that we can make use of this fact, though, at different times in our practice. Uh, And there's nothing wrong. If you find that it's working for you to, if, whenever you feel like it's helpful to you, to go ahead and do exactly what you said, uh, to simultaneously observe the sensations of the breath and what you see in the back of the eyelids until some of the noise in your mind comes down. But then try to go back to uh, observing the breath. And just regard this as, as something to uh, try out, to uh, play with a little bit, and then to let go of Because uh, we're not really looking for more and better tricks for making the uh, mind uh, quiet down. That's something that's going to happen in the natural development of of the meditation. First, we want to uh, develop the skill in not losing the awareness of the sensations of the breath. While allowing whatever thoughts happen to be coming and going to come and go. And then we want to further refine that skill by whenever we find our attention being drawn away to those thoughts to bring it back to the sensations of breath. So what we're doing is we're developing the, uh, the ability to sustain our attention stably. Uh, as we progress, we'll find that Once we've succeeded in doing that, then we can undertake to eliminate the thoughts that are in the background. Not through trying to make them go away, but actually through using practices very similar to what you're talking about. Uh, It's a technique called experiencing the whole body with the breath. And you get to the point where uh, you don't allow your attention to Drift away from the sensations, or away from the meditation object, to the thoughts that are there, and you are are able to sustain that focus. Then you say to yourself, "Well, I guess it's time to see what we can do to quiet the mind down." The the background noise will already have subsided somewhat. But one of the ways that you can can get the constant mental chatter to stop is to do a practice called experiencing the whole body of the breath. So you're still using sensations of the breath as you focus, but rather than restricting them to a small area, the tip of your nose, you expand that to uh, progressively larger and larger areas of the body until ultimately you are observing the sensations of the breath in the entire body. And this has the, the, the way that this works is it. It takes so much of your conscious awareness to maintain that awareness of the breath continuously over such a large area that there's literally no room for thought. And then after you've done this for a period of time, you can bring the focus of your attention back to the tip of the nose. And what you'll experience is, oh wow, this nice, really quiet period with no thoughts. This is wonderful. But thoughts will start to come in again. And you can keep repeating this, and each time you repeat this, the mind will get calmer and more and more quiet. So uh, it's something that we can use to help bring that about. But don't jump the gun. Don't get ahead of yourself. Until you're at the point where the tendency of the mind to go towards a thought or towards a sensation has been mastered so that you can keep your attention focused, in spite of the distractions that are taking place, uh, you don't need to start concerning yourself with making the thoughts stop. And then, what will ultimately make the thoughts stop? It's a result of training, of course, and this method that I was just described helps quite a bit. But ultimately, what makes the thoughts stop is that you consistently disregard them. Is through consistently disregard them, regarding them. That, that eventually they slow down and uh, they don't stop entirely, but they become fairly infrequent and they're just like kind of quiet whispers somewhere in the background and they're not, no longer a source of particular distraction to you. But you've discovered this is, this is what I was talking about earlier. Every time you meditate, it's an opportunity to discover things. You discovered that by attending to two sensory phenomena at once, but the thoughts stop, right? Is that, yeah. That's a great discovery. It's a wonderful discovery. Uh, I, I think that it's been, that discovery is one that is made by probably all meditators sooner or later. You, you find that, yeah, that's uh, the one way to, and, and I, really I alluded to that before we sat too. I said, when the mind really overactive, put your attention in your body. Because uh, uh, you can only pay attention to one kind of thing at a time, and even if your mind goes right back and forth, you can you can exclude one through uh, focusing on another. So, very good observation. Mm-hmm. Yes.
2: Could you expand a little bit more on introspective awareness, because? Um, that question keeps popping up, you know, when I'm meditating, like, um, okay, who's concentrating? Yeah. And then the answer keeps being, oh, it's just concentrating itself, or mind concentrating itself. Mm-hmm. But I'd like to
0: hear more. Yes, yes. Okay, Shelley. That's that's a very good question, because it is such an important thing. Uh, the question is... the. Uh, could I sp- speak more about introspective awareness? Because, uh, now how did you use You said that you're meditating and uh, the thought comes up, who, who's doing this?
2: Yeah, who's, who, keeps redirecting the, mm-hmm. who keeps concentrating or who's trying to concentrate or who yeah. keeps directing the attention back to the breath?
0: Who, who is doing this? Yeah, that, that's a wonderful question. And. Uh, when you find the answer, it's a wonderful realization as well. Introspective awareness really is how you come to that place of uh, really being investi- able to investigate that question and come and, and to find the answer. But just to speak a little bit about introspective awareness and what what we mean by it. Um, it is the present awareness of what's actually taking place in your mind in the moment, uh, to the degree that it can be known. And the fact is, most of what's going on in your mind is invisible, too, to your awareness. But in terms of just knowing what's happening in your mind right now. So... When you realize that your mind has wandered, that's introspective awareness. You've gone from object awareness, whatever it was that you were thinking about, and you are absorbed with that object and, and lost in it, to introspective awareness of knowing what your mind is doing. Oh, my mind is engaging in this thought. It also involves knowing what you intended to do and that this is not what you intended to do it's about understanding the appropriateness of what you're doing as well it is a higher level of awareness and understanding that is focused internally and so then as you go along in your practice it is introspective awareness that alerts you to the fact that perhaps you're paying more attention to a particular thought or sensation than you are to the meditation object. You know, you're sitting there and you were focused on the sensations of the breath. Your uh, introspective awareness may have begun to lag to such a degree that your attention shifted so that now you're still aware of the breath but you're more aware of a pain in your ankle where it presses against the cushion. So, but introspective awareness will arise again and you will realize that oh i'm now focusing i'm just barely aware of the sensations of the breath and i'm paying a lot more attention to the sensations in my ankle and and maybe also notice that and there's a lot of thoughts starting to bubble up about those sensations in my ankle but it's introspective awareness that, that that's that's how you know what's going on and that you know that what you need to do is redirect your attention back to the sensations of the breath. And this becomes more and more refined. Earlier on, it's a sporadic thing. It arises and, and uh, uh, arises unexpectedly when your mind is wandering. Uh, but when you have more continuous attention, you can invoke it. You can sort of remember every so often to just make sure that you know what's happening. Are you slipping into dullness? Or are you starting to become distracted? It does, after a while, start to become continuous and automatic. And that's, that's where you want to come to be with it. Um, as it develops and becomes continuous, then you can, while, while you are continuously observing the sensations of the breath. Also, be observing what's taking place in in your mind, in, at least in the part of your mind that's exposed to the life consciousness in the moment. Uh, you can you can become aware of the state of your mind and the activity of your mind and the competing things that might be going on in your mind. In that state, you can also entertain a question like. Who is doing this without losing your focus on on the sensations of the breath? And now if that if that question is discursive, it's going to take you away from the awareness of the breath. And you won't find a clear answer. But if that question can be not a discursive thought, but rather just a kind of awareness, and this comes when when you've held it for long enough, you you'll, you'll be aware of what is present in the moment. That, and, and what you'll find is in the sensations of the breath. That's all there is: is the awareness of the sensations of the breath. And to to look for who is directing the attention, or to look for who is uh, experiencing the sensations. Is very. It, it has the same feel as <coughs> trying to see the back of your head. You know, it just, it's, it's, there's no way to, to quite do it because the very idea of a who that's, that's deciding or a who that's experiencing is ceasing. It, it, it involves the cessation of the experience that you're actually having. <coughs> and the replacing of it by another one which is uh, of a different quality, whereas the sensation is its sensation it has that concrete realness to it the sensation. But as soon as you start pursuing the who's doing this, what you uh, what you discover is that you're now going after concepts and mental constructs and, and you're no longer in that same realm of, of solid sensory experience. The other thing that your introspective awareness is really useful for is looking for the intention. So I mean, there's these two aspects of, of this sense of, of, of a who, of someone in here. You know, There's the little guy inside looking out through the windows of the eyes, right? That's, that's the experiencing one. But there's also the little guy in here that's making all the decisions and in charge. So we can go and look after that one too, and that's a very interesting one, a very important one. If you if if, if you can exercise introspective awareness, if you've learned to have this you let your mind do its thing while you watch what it does. So uh, then you start looking for intentions. And what you discover is that intentions are just like thoughts and sensations. They just seem to arise out of nowhere. There they are. So uh, you'll realize that you're paying attention to the sensation in your ankle. And if your introspective awareness becomes quite strong in that moment, you can watch to see what happens. And there will be this sort of moment of there's an awareness that uh, you're supposed to direct your attention back to uh, the sensations of regret. And if you pay attention, you'll see that at some point you, can, you don't have to decide that, okay, I'm going to do it now. All you have to do is watch and you'll see that the attention arises, matures, and, it, and the, uh, the redirection of attention will occur. Or, well, if your mind is less disciplined, then there may be a different intention arise. But the point is that through introspective awareness, you can see this process happening. And that that's what you want to be able to do. You want to be able to to be in a place of knowing what the mind is doing. and that will reveal to you that the, the perceiver and the decider is, uh, is, is secondary to the experience of perceiving and, and deciding. You will always run into this conundrum, but yeah, okay, that's great, but who saw this happen? Okay, who was it that saw this intention arise by itself? Maybe that's what you were getting after the, the question to start with. Okay. Yeah, it was. Okay. So you've got good introspective awareness, you're watching your mind, you're watching intentions come and go, and sensations come and go, and thoughts come and go, and the question comes, who's doing for watching?
2: And the answer that keeps coming up is it's doing it on its
0: own. That's right. <laughs> yes. And and that's the right that's actually the right answer. That is that is the that's the answer that you've set out to discover, um, and verbally, it doesn't really make sense. But when you're meditating and you have an understanding that it's going on its own, it does make sense. It makes perfect sense. Verbally, it seems like okay. There's got to be there's got to be someone who's seeing this happening, and then if you can see that, then there's got to be someone that's seeing the seeing of this happening and it goes on forever and ever. But it really, in, it, in actual experience in your meditation, it stops with that, you know, and, and it in a way creates a closed a, a closed system, a closed loop. It, it doesn't need to go on and on forever. You just have this, and that's a very wonderful insight. That's. A, So keep keep using your introspective awareness uh, in in a way that allows you to have that kind of understanding. We had a a great talk last Sunday about the uh, the self, the nature of this self, the perceived self, uh, perceived both uh, as a as a set of concepts and ideas of who we think we are, but then there is that sense of a self. And uh, coming to realize that that is is that that both the idea of the self and the feeling, the sense of being a separate entity are are constructs of the mind and the mind continuously does this but uh well actually continuously is not quite the right word over and over again the mind does this but there's actually gaps this the the selfhood that we think is continuous when we examine it carefully with introspective awareness we find that it's not continuous it's it's discontinuous and it's not unified. It's actually uh, splintered into many parts. Yeah,
2: it's very helpful. Thank
0: you. You're welcome. There are many levels to what we hope to achieved through our meditation practice. And I was talking to someone about this earlier today, that some people become interested in meditation because they want their lives to be better. They're not thinking about uh, awakening or enlightenment. They're not necessarily that concerned with whether you know, these, these issues of uh, impermanence and non-self and so forth. What they're interested in is being happier and living better and and doing what they can to have a better and happier life. And that's a very legitimate objective of meditation. Awakening is an extension of that. That's all. You know, if you, uh, if you meditate you calm your mind, you learn to be able to deal with difficult situations more easily, you discover more and more uh, the truth that the source of both your happiness and unhappiness is internal. This allows you to have a better life. It allows you to, to interact more comfortably with other people in all kinds of situations, and that's a big improvement it allows you to focus on specific material goals and put a sincere effort into them and not be so disturbed when things don't go the way that you want them to because in meditation you've learned to be in the present go with the flow of what's happening not not resist but to go with it and this carries over into your life so that you can go ahead and do the kinds of things that that uh, that people do and that you've always done, uh, but be more effective at doing them, so that you get you get better results. But also be much less effective when they don't turn out the way that you you think that they should or that you wanted them to. And as a result of this, of all of this. You, your life is better, and you're happier, and and that's great. Uh, that's there's absolutely nothing wrong with that being your primary goal in meditation. we talk about the, the issues that we've talked about over the last few weeks, that to awaken <laughs> means to overcome a fundamental delusion that we have, the delusion that we are the separate self and the delusion that the world we live in and the objects that we have learned to rely on for our happiness are actually projections of our mind but we have to overcome that delusion uh that awakening in order to achieve uh, a much greater happiness but that's really an extension of what i was talking about earlier it's it's just carrying it to the next level we use introspective awareness it it is maybe the most important thing about all of meditation is introspective awareness the calm that we develop is very good the peace of mind that it gives us and the way that it decreases our reactivity in the world these are all very good things But the most valuable thing that you can obtain from your meditation is to have more introspective awareness. Because no matter what the goal of your meditation is, whether it's to be happier in ordinary life, whether it's to be able to cope better with the situations that you find yourself in, or whether it is to realize uh, these fundamental truths that lead to awakening, how that comes about is through introspective awareness. Fully conscious, mindful awareness that is focused internally in terms of what's taking place. In that way, you find yourself engaging in patterns of thinking and patterns of behavior over and over again, that you see that they, the problems that they're causing you. And it allows you to Uh, to examine those, and through simply examining those, you find that they lose the power that they have to keep coming back and keep driving you in the same way. The attachment to your perception of yourself as being a separate, distinct entity interacting with a world that's separate from you, that's just another bad pattern of thinking, that if you catch yourself in it, and you can come to penetrate the truth of it, that too, by examining it, you can let go of it. And through the letting go of it, then you, you spare yourself the vast majority of the causes of suffering and unhappiness that we're subject to. Well, there's nothing wrong. We, we, we all tend to have insight. Oh, oh sorry, I've got to repeat the question. Then. <laughs> For the sake of the recording here, OK. And uh, your, your question was uh, about writing writing down the discoveries and insights you have in meditation, uh, whether that's a good thing to do, or whether maybe it's not because you become attached to it. Uh, we all have insights into various aspects of uh, ourselves and our nature and things like this. And they come up in meditation. Um, there's absolutely nothing wrong with writing down, But it, uh, you're absolutely right. You don't want to become too attached to this. And you want, don't want to start making this the, the focus of what you're doing. Because your mind can generate and endless series of insights if you get addicted to sitting down in the meditation and discovering new things about yourself. It can do that you know, <laughs> without end. Uh, there's nothing wrong with writing them down. Uh, it's helpful to notice uh, which are the ones that are really wonderful and which are the ones that are not so that seemed wonderful at the time, but when now you look at them, it as well, yeah, so. <laughs> because if you get attached to it, your mind will just start generating, and most of them are just, yeah, so what? I guess I'm
3: not trusting myself to build on um, the insights that would be helpful. I, I, I'm thinking I won't remember the insights. Well,
0: OK. There is a, there's something that you don't want to do here, and that's that you don't want to think, you, you don't want to get into the idea that you're going to, to figure everything out intellectually, that you're going to think your way out of the dilemma that your life is, because you're not, and this isn't how this isn't how insight works. Um, we discover things. And some of those things are worth pondering more deeply. But the most powerful thing about mindful awareness is that focused awareness resolves problems without you needing to think about them and figure them out. The way it does it, well, you're an insight that you can write down is in a it, it's a in a conceptual form. It's a verbal conceptual form. It's a symbolic re- representation of a more immediate truth that underlies it. And at that symbolic conceptual level you can continue to elaborate without altering the truth that all this elaboration is about. The original insight that you came, that, that you have, in often cases, it, it's, it, it's very often the case that if you continue to observe what's happening in your mind and the reactions and things like that, that the understanding keeps going deeper and, and it goes to a simpler and more fundamental level. And the changes that take place, the desirable changes that take place are at the deeper fundamental level, and they are the result of that, of that observation and, and that understanding, they're not the result of thinking about it and figuring things out afterwards. I mean, of course, there is a place for figuring things out. There is a place for, you know, you can have insight into something about the way you run your life that needs to be changed and then you can think about how to change it and that's a really good thing but if you have an insight into something about the way you are then keep being mindful of that whenever it arises and that mindfulness will take you to a deeper understanding of why you are the way you are and when the mindfulness gets to the root of it then what happens is your conscious awareness is like this this brilliant light that illuminates this fact. And those deeper parts of your mind that have been causing you to be in this way, you know, at an unconscious level, they have created this as an aspect of your personality and who you are. But now they're seeing, through through the illumination of, of fully conscious awareness, these these deeper parts of your psyche that are responsible for you being that way become I, the way I imagine is they become informed they 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 sort of wake up and they realize that oh wow this thing that I've been that this way that I've been making us be all these years isn't really working gee I shouldn't do that anymore and then it just kind of stops all by itself it's wonderful and, and you don't, that's not a thought that you have. And you don't see that taking place. All that you know is, uh, uh, in terms of your conscious experience, is that you've examined with full mindfulness. And the more you've examined, the more fully you've understood it. And with the understanding of it, there is a shift. There is an inner change, and you're no longer so prone to keep repeating thing. So, in observing, and not,
2: and just, being calm
3: and staying aware,
0: mm-hmm. that, that's my focus. Yes. That's what you want to do. Yeah. That's, that's the primary thing. But there is nothing wrong with making notes of the, of the great ideas and realizations that come in meditation. But examine them critically and don't get addicted to having them because you can do that. That's called the trap of the insights. And it happens just about the time your meditation gets to be pretty stable, you know, and you can sit there and your mind doesn't really, your mind never wanders, and you're really focused, and <coughs> ooh, this really clear understanding, and things just kind of pop up. And of course, the urge is to not wait and write them down after you finish meditating, but get up right now and go right now. They come up, they're good, take them for what they're worth, but if you become attached to them, your mind will generate them endlessly. And some of you may have had this experience, too. Is that when a great insight comes up, you, you, your meditations have been going really well, and you're able to sit for a whole hour without your mind wandering, and a great idea comes up, and it's so great that you just go ahead and you think about it and do, do whatever mentally you need to do with it, and then you get finished, and you say, oh, well, I'm going to go back to my meditation now. And there's just, you can't do it. It's just, you, 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 your mind has shifted to such a totally different place that you're just starting all over again. You just can't go right back into it. And that will become almost addictive if you do that. It's like, OK, well, the mind presents you with another great thing to think about, and then another great thing to think about. And One of the things about uh, psychoactive drugs, people have wonderful insights, and then they write them down, and then they look at them afterwards, and they come down. It's like, why on earth? I thought that was so important. (laughs) And that's the kind of thing that you will start having in meditation if you get into this trap of insights. Your mind will just present you with these things, and they come colored with the emotional sense. And, and, and this is really good if you get to the place of saying, OK, there's the idea that comes up. There's the, the quote, insight. And the emotional flavoring of it. And it's not that the emotional flavoring of, oh, wow, what a wonderful idea this is, is intrinsic to the insight. It's not. Your mind learns to cover every color every one of its ideas that it comes up with, with the flavor of, oh, this is wonderful. And you're just like somebody you know, on a psychedelic drug having these wonderful ideas. You know, and so we record them and write them down. And then when we come down, and it's like, wow, oh, but I think that is so important. So thank you for that. That was a relevant well, question to talk about. Yes, Adam?
3: I'm wondering about I think any insight you in have. Like you were saying, you're going to attach a flavor, an emotional quality, a reaction to it after the fact. But I'm wondering just because of some stuff that's been coming up since the retreat I just finished. If, if you, I guess Sorry, I'm wondering because of some of the stuff that's coming up since the retreat I finished, um, is, is it ever the case that you'll have an insight, and maybe it's not profound, but there's some truth in it? And it doesn't feel like it arises out of a discursive thought, but it's really dark. Like, it's just an unpleasant truth. Mm-hmm. Um, and <laughs> for me there's some that have been really sucking the energy out of my faith, my confidence practice mm-hmm. and in the path of memory. And I know there's probably something deeper under this that can kind of uproot it, or maybe there's some truth to it, and it's valuable, but I'm wondering how to, some techniques in the moment to detach myself from kind of the uh, intensity of the emotion that, that I, I, I've, I've, I've gotten bogged out. These these thoughts or these insights—I can't quite call them thoughts because they seem more powerful than that. But maybe they really are just thoughts that have such a strong emotional charge that I thought they their insights. I don't know, but I guess the question—good luck repeating (laughs) it—is: Can you have insights that have an incredibly dark flavor, depending on the person you are?
0: Can you have insights that have an incredibly dark flavor, depending on the kind of person you are? Right. Okay. Yeah. And.
3: I guess, is there is there a way in the moment when it just feels so overpowering to detach yourself from, I guess, just the negative energy that that, that, that puts in the body and in the mind?
0: Okay, is there a way to keep from being overpowered by the uh, the negative energy or the emotional that yeah. comes along with it. Yes. So, uh, well, first of all, a lot of dark things can come up. And, and it's not unusual for them to come up in meditation. Uh, so just, I'll, I'll give you an example. And this may not have anything to do with the kind of experiences you're talking about. But it's not uncommon for people when they're meditating to have sort of a visual experience arise of uh, some something that is absolutely horrible and disgusting. You know, uh, could involve some kind of grisly violence or, or you know, whatever. And it will arise with uh, the natural reaction is where did that come from? I can't believe I had that in my mind. Okay? And it's obvious that you did have that in your mind. So, that can be, uh, that can, depending on the kind of person you are, um, give rise to uh, guilt or uh, uh, a, a very negative judgment about yourself that I must be a really horrible kind of person about harboring that kind of thought I guess I must be a, a at heart I'm a serial killer at the very least. Just somehow been restrained all my life until now. And that can of course set in that set in motion a lot of other thought processes. But that's completely missing the point that we all have these deep, dark things in our, in our psyches. And they may come up. And it's, if they come up in meditation, it's not really saying anything about who or what you are. I mean, who you really are is you're our sentient being of Buddha nature. And that's who you really are. And everything else is uh, is just stuff that got collected along the way, one, one way or the other. But, All kinds of dark things come up. Dark emotions, dark memories of things that really happened or that we really did. Um, So those things are there, and they'll come up. The the proper way to deal with any of these things is just to observe them as just another phenomenon, just something else. They're really no different than wondering what's going to be for lunch in their essence. It's only what we make out of them that makes them different. They come with a big emotional load, though, and that's the other part of how do you keep from being overwhelmed by the emotions that come out of them? And that can be extremely difficult. Um, they they always tend to have emotions. I mean, you probably wouldn't call them dark if they didn't have these kind of emotions with them. And um, well, if they're a memory, then that uh, that emotion can be particularly painful. If it's if it's something that is actually part of your history, uh, that makes it a lot worse than some vision of something that you can't imagine how long it could have your mind, because because there's, there's kind of a direct sense of of ownership of it and so forth. But you don't. You don't want to identify with it. You want to stay in that place of, okay, my mind's producing this mental state now. I'm producing this idea and this emotion. Isn't that interesting? <laughs> <laughs> uh, the, the answer is no. That's not interesting. I want to figure it. Yeah, it comes up, and, and your, your reaction is, do uh, is you want it to go away? And it takes practice. You, you, you have to learn to let these things be and, and let them go. You know, and that's, that's the formula. Let it come, let it be, let it go. And that's really easy to say and very, very difficult to do, because you naturally want to identify with the emotion, your mind naturally wants to think about whatever it is that came up that's disturbing, wants to analyze, Uh, wants to, uh, there's so many different ways that it can go, your mind may want to judge, or your mind may want to justify, or your uh, your mind may want to, to punish you, or your mind They just want to avoid this and get rid of it, you know. But... Your difficulty is always going to be the difficulty of identifying with what's happening. And if you can keep in mind that you are not your mind. And that your mind is this enormous complex of processes that can generate all kinds of things, uh, that have stored all kinds of unpleasant memories from your past. And, it, you know, its context, contents are vast and, and, and most peculiar, and so your mind can, in the peace and quiet of meditation, present the most bizarre kinds of things. If you can just remember that, that this is just a product of mental processes. It's not me. It's not who I am. It's not reality. Uh, it's, it's not some, some self-existent reality. It's merely another phenomenon arising. Very difficult to do, and it takes some practice. And, but if you're lucky, you'll have this happen just the right number of times for you to get to the place where you can remain unattached and let it come and let it be and let it go emotions are the same way it's when you identify with it when i i am disgusted by this thought or i i am afraid or i am angry or i am guilty or i you know whatever whatever the particular mental state that it is your, the root of your problem is identifying with it and saying, I am this, rather than seeing it as something that has arisen, allowing it to be until it's ready to go away. And it's not easy. But it, it, it is something that, uh, if you, the more clearly you understand that the the necessary response is one of objective, non-judgmental acceptance of whatever it is. So, the more quickly that you can get that realization imprinted in your mind, then you can practice any time something like this comes up of exercising that awareness. And it doesn't matter that you don't always succeed. It really doesn't. What matters is that you remember to try not to be judgmental, that you remember to try not to get caught by it. And when you recognize that you have, that you disengage, you resist the temptation to try to figure it out. You can never figure it out. And it won't do you any good to think about it. That's hard to believe. If you're used to solving all your problems by thinking about things, it's going to be very hard to accept that these negative insights that, oh, I, I'm a horrible person because this is the way I am. I, now I see it really clearly. What am I going to do about it? Well, let me think about this. It's just not going to work. It, it, it won't work. Well, you could spend a lot of, I mean, I, I think, I think uh, psychotherapists probably profit a lot from the idea that you can't make your reality of things. <laughs> Maybe you can to some limited degree, but there's a much a much, much better way is is to remind yourself, you know, it doesn't like I say, it doesn't matter if you get caught. After getting caught if you can look at it and say, Aha, look what happened. I got caught. And if you, can, if you can be aware of it, if you, if you can focus your mindful awareness on the after-the-fact, just examination of, oh, yes, this arose, and I got caught, and this is how I felt, and this is what happened, and, oh, yes, I don't need to think through it and analyze it. I just need to try to remember next time to stay I'm, I'm, i attached to it. You know, it's, you might recognize the same formula we talked about here, overcoming uh, uh, anger and other negative mental states in your life. Uh, if you can catch them when they arise, that's wonderful. But if you can't, you can still examine them after the fact. And not with judgment and self-criticism and punishing yourself, beating yourself up. Oh, there I went and got mad again. No, it's not that. It's just ah, I see that happening. (laughs) Just uh, just recognition, simple recognition of it. So it's the same thing. This this will help you to uh, to be able to deal with it more successfully on subsequent occasions. This is. Another one of those things that usually comes up in, in terms of the ten stages of the development of meditation, they, have, they happen, uh, begin to happen around the fourth stage where you have uninterrupted continuity of attention. They really start to happen a lot in the fifth and sixth stage where you, your mind is starting to become, it, it's staying alert and that's at the same time starting to become more and more calm and quiet. Because in that whole alertness, this is the opportunity for these things to arise from uh, subconscious levels of your your mind and uh, to present themselves to conscious awareness. So it's very typical to happen in those stages. Uh, The the track of insights and visions. And insights are not the profound insights into the true nature of reality that uh, we're trying to discover the trap. The insights that are the trap are these sort of mundane insights into the way we think they are, think think we are, and life it and things like that. Sometimes, though, they can be really wonderful intellectual insights, you know, into uh, uh, the uh, nature of the quantum electron or the true meaning of uh, the Buddhist doctrine of uh, no self or uh, something else like that. They can be that kind of intellectual insight, too. And that's because uh, the, beneath the surface of our consciousness, our mind is is always processing these uh, these intellectual issues that are part of our lives. And so when the mind becomes calm, they come to the surface, and we see them. And that's why we have those kinds of insights sometimes they are great, but they're not they're a trap if you start becoming attached to them the other of these traps is uh they're more visionary kinds of things Uh, uh, sometimes in meditation you'll have hypnagogic imagery that comes up and it will seem to have great meaning uh if your mind is if, if you can keep from sinking into dullness you can allow that allow your mind to open up to that kind of energy, while staying very very alert. And uh, at that point some people this is the same state that shamans use, they enter into the state with drumming, things like this in order to meet with uh, allies and, uh, and uh, spiritual teachers on other planes and things like this. And so in this meditative state you can start to have uh, have visions of of beings who uh, uh, will communicate with you. So that's another thing that can happen. If you're doing shamanic practices, that's a really good thing. If you're trying to cultivate concentration and mindful awareness, and if you're trying to achieve the samatha and vipassana that allow awakening, then As attractive and interesting as these things are, they're they're not what the objective is. And the proper way to deal with them as a part of this practice is to set them aside. To just observe them like anything else is another interesting phenomenon that arises. And if you want to explore them separately, explore them separately. uh, where they become a trap, the trap of visions, is you know, when you wipe like them so much, and there's so much more entertaining than sitting and, and developing your meditation skills, that every time you go to sit down, you're waiting for the next vision to come up. And they'll keep coming up if you do that. You'll, you'll get very skilled at first getting into that open, hypnagogic state that allows the images to start coming up, and then sustaining yourself right there so that you can have these uh, wonderful experiences. It's not our objective here. Not a bad thing in other kinds of practices and for other kinds of purposes, but it's not our objective here. So, thank you. Your original questions have brought us to... uh, the illustration of some important things that do happen in, in the middle stages of the development of, of new skills and concentration and mindful awareness. Um, in the context that I just talked about, and this may not have been clear, but they are a part of what's called the purification of mind. There's a lot of the stuff that needs to get it needs to come to the surface. It needs to be seen, and it needs to be let go of. And in the later stages of the practice, in the eighth, ninth, and tenth stages of full development of samatha, uh, the mind needs to have been purified of these agitating and disturbing residues, these, uh, how did you put them, Adam, these dark, uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, your dark side. You, your dark side needs to come into the light and be illuminated uh, in order not to be a problem to you anymore. And those memories of past experiences, whether they're the terrible things that you did to somebody else, or the terrible things that somebody did to you, or just the terrible place that you were and the terrible things that happened, but those things, those kinds of memories, Uh, those kinds of psychic traumas as long as they're there beneath the surface they're, they're going to affect you in every day of your life to some degree or another in almost everything you do but when it comes to meditating and when it comes to achieving the more profound meditation states they have to be dealt with you can't just push them down beneath the surface and make them stay there and so when they start to come up that's a good thing That is the stage of purification of the mind. It prepares you to move very easily on to the next stages. So not a bad thing at all. Yes?
2: What do you do when they come up? Is that what you were talking about? Let it be, let it come, let it be, let it go?
0: Yes. That's it? And if you succeed in letting it come, letting it be, and letting it go, uh, it won't be a problem, and it won't come back. To the degree that it's a struggle for you, and to the degree that, you, uh, that it may come back, that's the degree to which you were not yet able to just let it be and let it go. Uh, letting it be is hard if it's unpleasant. We want to push it away. We want to escape from it. Or if it's interesting and attractive, we want to grasp onto it. And so letting it be is not, you know, it, it's, uh, it's it takes practice, and uh, you have to succeed in letting it be so that it, you can not let it go. Because if you don't succeed in letting it be, it may. Just go back into hiding and come back again next week or next month.
2: So, the letting it be part then is to develop the observer state of mind that just watches it, just watches the experience arising without judgment, without attachment, That's without right. repulsion, without any of the emotions right. or judgment
0: and just allows it, and then if you just allow it, it will dissipate? That's right. It allows you, uh, uh, as you said, you allow it to be without judgment. You let it arise. You don't judge it. You don't struggle against it. You see it for what it is. You allow yourself to see it as clearly as it can possibly be seen. For what it really is. Completely accepting it. And the the way that you may that you will hopefully have conditioned your mind so that you can do this is is the recognition that whatever does come up, it it has a right to be there. It is the inevitable result of past Causes and conditions, past events, past whatever—you can't change the past. And if it's here in the present, it it has a total right to be there because the unchangeable past is what has led to it being there. And so it, it, that's that's the place that allows you to accept it—the um, non-judgmental part, of your mind. Wants to react, and it's learning to suspend that tendency to react. And that. <laughs> Thank you. You,
3: you. You mentioned one time, one talk about uh, when something like that comes up to use that as the meditation object. Yes. Yeah that's what i'm saying yeah
0: if you're yes if you're observing your breath and one of these things comes up it's a powerful thing uh so you, you forget the breath for the time being because this is your new meditation object you observe it and uh it won't necessarily be an it it'll be you know there, there may be an image and uh you may examine that but then there may be an emotion and the emotion is more appropriate object than the image so you focus on the emotion if that's what's more appropriate and in the course of the experience uh it it may there may be other images or there may be different emotions Uh, you know anger may be the first one to come up but then fear may follow that or, or some other emotion it's just Letting, letting it unfold and just observing it without getting involved, getting involved with it. And here's where the introspective awareness is really, really important. Because the antithesis of introspective awareness is getting caught by it. And um, you, you want to just be able to uh, stay in, in that untouchable. Kind of place. So we talk about this a lot, and maybe this has made it sound um, that there's a tendency to make things sound more complicated than are when we're talking about them. The simple answer is, whatever comes up, <coughs> <coughs> just observe it mindfully. <laughs> Don't be attached, <laughs> and wait for it to pass away. <coughs> some people will have more of these kinds of experiences we talked about and some fewer and some will be more predominantly at one time and some of another uh, and so it, it's but it's always the same thing your mind has to undergo this process of purification and so whatever comes up you just uh, you just observe it let it have its moment in the limelight <laughs> and then let it go away. And you don't... And, and the other thing is, I'll assure you, that <coughs> no matter how much stuff you've been carrying around, you don't have to go through all of your stuff. That's the other nice thing about it. It's, <coughs> it's, uh, it, it's not like each little piece of stuff has to be dealt with. Uh, when, you, when you deal with a really important piece of your stuff in the right way, by by just observing it, accepting it, and let that deep inner resolution take place, it somehow overflows into all the really similar kind of stuff. And so you wipe out a whole category (laughs) at once.
2: You cannot deal with it alone by letting it go. You, you, you might go to the psychiatrist, <coughs> and yeah. then move on with whatever that helped you to, to clear out. Um, the, the active part, you know, when you just let it be and let go, where is this part where you say, Oh, here I see it, I'm, I'm making no choice, I'm going and doing this or that, or figuring out this or that? That is missing from
0: Okay. I, I need to repeat your question, and I also am not sure that I retained it all. Okay, but first of all, you said sometimes th- things that may come up, for example, past traumas, are too big for you to just let be, let like, go, well, and you may need help. Yes, that's true. Uh, as a matter of fact, wonderful examples and descriptions of that. This is a lot of what Jack Kornfield does. When Jack Kornfield talks about Vipassana uh, meditation, you know, a lot of it is talking about things that come up, these kinds of traumas that come up for people in meditation. He is also a therapist. And so, you know, he describes, uh, I think, uh, the path of the heart. Or, yeah, He describes a number of different cases of, of people things that come up in meditation, and then subsequently they get help. But what you'll notice even there is it's not the typical uh, psychotherapy where you talk it all out. Basically, Jack Cornfield talks with the person enough to enable them to go back and let, let the insight process, let, let the, the meditation deal with it. That was one part of what you said, but there are some more important things there afterwards. Well,
2: it was related to this uh, when you you find out things, where is the part where you actively make the choice to change it? Where you make the choice, for example, or or, uh, uh, (coughs) realize.
0: Well, uh, okay. That that is a that that is a good point. That uh, the question is, how do you make the decision when you need to go and get some other help? And what I would suggest to you is that if something comes up that is really disturbing, and you have the sense that you have no hope of just uh, letting it go, then that's the time to talk about it with someone. Talk about it with a meditation teacher. And then maybe you would need to talk about it with uh, someone else, or or do something else about it. I hope that for most of you, for most of the things that come up, that you'll find that uh, you can deal with them, and you you can recognize that you have the ability to deal with them. That you're not totally overwhelmed right from the outset, and uh, every single time. You know, uh, but if you if if you do, then definitely you need you need help. But how do you make that decision? Well, (laughs) it it never hurts to ask for help. If you, especially if there's something that's coming up in meditation, ask a meditation teacher for help. It never hurts. It's always the, the right thing. But don't underestimate your own ability to to deal with things. Just because something really difficult from your childhood has come up, and just because you found yourself slipping into the same patterns of emotional reaction and thought, don't immediately conclude that you're beyond dealing with it. uh, Give it a good shot. Hopefully, by the time this is happening, you'll know yourself well enough that you'll have a pretty good sense right away that this is something that I can do with myself or this is something that I can A lot of times, as meditation teachers, we cheat. We ask all these questions before the retreat begins so that we tell all the people who have that kind of problem, that so, you know, go to somebody else's retreat. <laughs> not a very good thing. But and it's not really to avoid dealing with that person's difficulties, it's that it can't be disruptive.